What's going on, everybody? Welcome on into the Matt Lombardo Show presented by Heavy Sports. Of course, I am Heavy Sports NFL insider Matt Lombardo. Great to have you here. Big show on tap. We'll be joined by Indianapolis Colts captain and star linebacker Zaire Franklin. Get his thoughts on his season, how he's turned a corner as the season has gone along. You watch Zaire Franklin. He is always around the football. We'll get into some of the big takeaways from week 14 across the NFL. We'll get into some of the teams that really have some tough realities to face, not only down the stretch, but in what could be a brutal offseason for several teams across the NFL. But before we get into all of it, as always, if you enjoy the podcast, please go ahead and subscribe to the Matt Lombardo Show in the Apple Podcast Store, Spotify, SoundCloud, all of your favorite podcast platforms. Throw us a like on YouTube. And if you really enjoy the program, go into the Apple Podcast Store, leave a five-star review. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, because those reviews really help grow the show. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Matt Lombardo NFL. And you know, the Indianapolis Colts have been on a bye week this week, but it's really been a fascinating season in Indy, not just because of all of the drama around quarterback Matt Ryan and, and you know him getting benched earlier this season and then coming back and you know saving a win for them. But of course, the coaching change with Jeff Saturday replacing Frank Reich in the middle of the season. Zaire Franklin is going to fill us in on all of it. A conversation that I'm really excited about, one of the budding young superstars across the entire NFL, one of the most talented players on the Indianapolis Colts roster, that's star linebacker Zaire Franklin joins, joins us. You can follow him on Twitter at Ziggy Smalls underscore. Zaire, how you doing, man? Thanks for taking a few minutes this week. I'm good. I'm good, Matt. Appreciate you having me. Yes, sir. Always. And, you know, you look at the start that you're having to this season, 131 tackles, one sack. You know, you were just a, a baller all over the place on Sunday Night Football. You're off to one of the fastest starts to a season in your entire career, on track to break the Colts' single-season tackle record. What's really clicked for you this season? What's really powered your fast start? Um, you know, I just really think, you know, just with the opportunity, you know, just kind of seizing my moment. Um, and really just, I think – you know, as I've grown in the league, you know, as a player, um, I just think it's just more so trusting yourself. You know, as you uh, begin, you know, believe in yourself, trust that, you know, be the type of guy that got you there. You know, they signed you, they drafted you for a reason because they wanted you to be a certain type of player. So just trusting that you're the player that can make those type of plays. And, you know, it's just as you make plays, you know, it just builds your confidence. And then confidence just builds on more plays. So it really just kind of snowballs in a good way. Um, so thankfully I was able to make some plays early and just continue to build on it and continue to get better. Absolutely. And beyond that, beyond just believing in yourself, your teammates obviously have a really strong belief in you as well, voting you a captain this season. You're one of the youngest captains in the NFL. What did that recognition mean to you? And how did that come about? How did you find out? Is it one of those big moments like in college where they put a kid on scholarship and everybody's like jumping around and getting all hyped up? What was that like for you? And what does it mean to you to, to know that your teammates view you in that way? Um, yeah, believe it or not, it's a lot less uh, dramatic than that. Um, <laughs> you know, it was more so just like a team meeting. Uh, you know, they they announced the guys that, you know, our, our, our team voted as uh, captains. And, um, you know, it's never uh, – uh, a privilege that I take lightly is something I always take um, extreme honor. Um, obviously, just the guys that are in the building um, vote me as their leader. You know, these are the guys that watch you every day. They watch you practice. They watch you lift. They know how you work. They know how you approach the game. They know who you are as a person and as a teammate. Um, you know, so it's just to be acknowledged by them um, obviously means the most to me. And, you know, it's just a responsibility that I don't take lightly. Is there a moment during this year, during the season, whether it was during practice or maybe when adversity struck in the middle of a game where 
you kind of had to dig deep and reach down and, and find that leadership role. And what was that like for you? How did you, how did you step into that? How did you get your teammates to buy in in that spot? Um, I wouldn't say, I, I don't know if I could really think of one moment specifically, but um, honestly, I just think it would really. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Hey, we lost you for a second there, but it looks like you're back. Oh, okay. I apologize. Yeah. Um, no, you're fine. Yeah, I would just say, you know, just for me, it's just, um, you know, whether it's a two-minute drive at the end of the game, um, you know, obviously, you know, the defense is everyone's looking at me for the calls, my chance to kind of like, look, man, let's dig deep, let's believe in ourselves and different stuff like that. Um, you know, and just really just throughout the day, um, you know, throughout the, the throughout the season, you know, just trying to be that guy that, you know, my teammates can lean on, my teammates can depend on, um, and just knowing that they always get, you know, trust me to, you know, try to give my all and be the best version of myself for them. So, Yeah, and this has obviously been a, a really certain type of year for the Colts with everything you guys have had to go through off the field, and I'm sure leadership in that locker room, yourself included, had to have been critically important, especially when Frank Wright gets fired as head coach. They bring in Jeff Saturday. What was that stretch like for you as a captain and going through all of that with your teammates? Take me through that whole experience because it's not that often that you see a coach get relieved of his duties in the middle of a season and still have like half a season left to play. How did you guys rally and, and, and bounce back from all that? Well, honestly, you know, obviously it was a tough situation. Um, Coach Wright, you know, he drafted me, um, you know, had a lot of uh, conversations with him, you know, definitely – you know, appreciate him as a coach and as a, as a man. But, you know, honestly, the show had to go on. You know, that's just kind of how that situation goes. You know, um, you know, they decided to make a change and bring uh, Coach uh, Saturday in. And, you know, we just kind of had to take in the shot and keep rolling. I think, you know, Coach Saturday, obviously, being a coach legend, um, bring her on a guy, you know, well uh, respected throughout the building anyway. Um, you know, he kind of just took it in stride, took the bull by the horns. And, he's you know, he's a great leader, he's a natural guy. Um, you know, you could just tell just by when he walks in the room, how people just kind of gravitate towards him. He's, you know, he's just got that that type of factor to him. Um, and, you know, just kind of coming into the season, you know, obviously it's tough when you lose a coach in the middle of the season. But, you know, I think Coach Saturday just come in, um, just been doing, you know, the best job he, you know, um, he can and just, you know, getting the guys ready to, to play every week. How much cachet did that have to you guys, knowing that he's, you know, ring of honor guy, obviously played with Peyton, franchise legend, you know, how was that move perceived inside the locker room? Because in the media and among fans, it seemed like there was a lot of criticism for that move, but knowing his career, knowing his, you know, what he meant to the Colts franchise, how much of an impact did that have on you guys in that room when he was brought in? Um, you know, honestly, I could just speak, you know, defensively for my, for us, uh, you know, we really, you know, we just had to keep it in stride, you know, for us, pretty much everything stayed the same, you know, defensively, special yeah. teams wise, I think the biggest change was for the guys on offense. And, you know, I think he's done a good job just kind of working with the offensive line and trying to get them going. But, uh, to be honest, you know, we, we, obviously we already have respect for him. He's obviously a coach legend. And, um, I think just with that pedigree, um, and I think you can really tell just how much he really cares about the team, how much he cares about the organization. He just cares about the building. Like He cares about everything that comes along with the horseshoe. And I think that just comes along in everything that he does. So you know that he's not out here just, you know, he's out here with the best intentions in mind because he just really cares about the success of the team and, and the success of the players that are already in it. You know, he was already 
I guess, you know, very involved and just, you know, wanting to see the team be uh, uh, successful. You know, I know a lot of analysts, you know, play a lot of close attention to the team that they're, you know, um, legendary firm. So, you know, he was already very familiar with us. And, um, you know, just for him to come in, um, you know, just doing a great job, just keeping guys on track and, you know, motivating guys and pushing guys every day. What are some of those motivation tactics? What's he like on like a Wednesday or Thursday? Because, you know, we only see him on Sunday during games. But, like, when you run into Jeff Saturday around the building, what's he like? How does he get you guys fired up? Man, Jeff, you know, so he, he a former old lineman, man. So, you know, those, those guys, you know, they like – They got they the like, stories. Yeah, they, they like to push they like to push the limits, you know what I mean? They, he knows how to challenge you. He knows how to do little things to kind of get you rolling and get you fired up. And, um, you know, I think that's just a credit to the type of guy he was when he was on the team. Um, obviously, just, you know, really just getting back to competing, you know, getting, get, you know, just instilling that that factor and say, you know, we're going to compete every play. We're going to complete, compete in every situation scenario. And, um, you know, that's just kind of, you know, just the mentality that he just brings across, you know, just to competing and just grinding to try to be the best version of yourself and beating the guy across from you. Um, that's just, you know, the biggest thing for him and, you know, the biggest thing for us just going forward. And, you know, you've made the move full-time to linebacker. I know you played a little bit of safety at one point, but, you know, moving to linebacker, you talk about beating the guy across from you, beating the guy in front of you. Who's the best offensive tackle that you've lined up against and what, what makes him so tough to beat? The best offensive tackle we probably play. Um, man, I, I think uh, uh, Jacksonville had – I think it's Cam, is Cam Robinson the tackle? Yeah. Or is he a guard? Yeah, I think Cam they bounced Robinson. him out the tackle, yeah. Yeah, I mean, just athletic, big guy hard to get around, um, you know, physical, um, you know, he's a, he's a guy that stood out of mind. Um, Dallas obviously had talented players, uh, obviously big Jason Peters out there. It was kind of crazy to be able to play against him. Um, you know, watching him play for the Eagles for so long, you know, growing up. Um, and then, you know, he had a young guy, I know he just tore his ACL, but he was playing very well. Um, you know, the Eagles, Lane Johnson. Um, so we played, we played against some talented offensive linemen this year, uh, for sure. Those just a couple of the guys that really stood out to me. Lane Johnson's a name that you hear thrown out all the time is one of the top right tackles in the league. Maybe him and Trent Williams, the best offensive tackles in the league, period. You played Lane Johnson earlier this year. What's your thumbnail on him? What makes him so great? Man, just physical. Um, finishes finishes his, his, his blocks, especially in the run game, and takes pride in it. You know, take pride in really just, you know, being a dominant force out there. Um, obviously great in pass protection. Um, and just smart, you know, I feel like, you know, a lot of offensive line, a lot of the great offensive lines um, have a guy like a bell cow, you know, a guy that they know that just the ultimate, you know, example of consistency and dominance that all five of those guys are kind of hang their head on. I think, you know, he does a good job of, you know, being that guy, obviously him and Kelsey on that line, um, you know, being the, the two vets that, you know, um, just kind of help carry along that O-line and, and set that standard for him. And for you guys, you're obviously up against your offensive line every day in practice. And, you know, you see these guys day in and day out. Talk to me about a guy like Quentin Nelson, who has just been a road grader, you know, perennial all-pro type of a guy. What have you learned? What's made you a better linebacker going up against him and seeing his game, you know, trying to beat him in practice and beat him in one-on-ones and those sort of things? Oh, man, Quentin's relentless. Um, You know, obviously another – Big, tough, physical guy um, that loves finishing finishing blocks. Um, I think with Quentin, a lot of him is just, you know, he's way more athletic than I feel like you would expect, you know, a guy his size <laughs> to be. So, you know, I feel like a lot of things what I've learned with going against our O-line is just really just beating guys to the spot. You know, a lot of times 
um, learning as you learn the game, you learn that you know offensive linemen have certain landmarks that they like to reach on certain blocks um, in certain markets that they kind of set for themselves um, to put themselves in position. And it's almost like if you could beat them to that spot before, you could kind of beat. You know, obviously I'm faster than old linemen, so for just using my speed to my advantage. Um, and just beating them to that spot, I put myself in a good position so where they don't even get a chance to block me. And um, it's very similar to like, you know, special teams, you know, you beat your guy, you go make a play. That's kind of how it goes. And, you know, you guys on defense, you already lost Quiddy Pay pretty early but before the season. I think he got hurt in the preseason. Shaq Leonard goes down. How have you guys been able to overcome that kind of adversity throughout the course of the year? Yeah. Um, yeah. Quiddy, Quiddy was banged up this year. Um, obviously having him back now. Um, is great. You know, he's obviously a great young pass rusher in this league, uh, especially against the run and, and as well as in the past. But, I um, mean, you know, I think it's just the same thing I said earlier about our coach. You know, just in the NFL, you've got to have that next man up mentality. You know, when a guy goes down, um, it's on everybody else to kind of step up and make up for that production. Um, and, you know, honestly, it's guys, you know, that's just waiting for those opportunities. And, you know, I always tell the young guys, you know, in this league, you're going to get an opportunity at some point in some shape or fashion, um, but it's on you to be ready to take advantage when you get it um, because you may not get another one. And um, I think it's just, you know, a credit to just the guys on our roster just kind of trying to lock in, especially defensively, um, and just take advantage of whatever snaps they may get. And you've got four games left this season. Obviously, you know, there are team goals, of course, that everybody has going into the year. But for Zaire Franklin – what do you need to accomplish over these last four weeks to look back and say, you know what, I had a hell of a year. That was a success. I can chalk 2022 up as a win for myself. What do you want to see happen for yourself over these last four weeks to look back on this as a positive season? Man, I just want to continue to see the progression in my game. Um, you know, just continue to, to work on and hone in on my skills. Um, you know, big plays. Obviously, you want to make more game-changing plays. Um, I think that's something that just my coaches challenge me on and something I challenge myself on is just really just um, just being that dynamic player. That's what separates the good players from the great players. And obviously, if you want to be a great player, that's what you got to do. So that's just something I would really just say, you know, in the next four games, just really trying to make more dynamic plays. But honestly, for myself, it's just my – but really just, like I said, just seeing my progression, you know what I'm saying, making sure I'm getting better. Um, you know, this is my, really my first year playing, um, you know, 100% of the snaps. Um, so I really just feel like I've just been learning, you know, a lot as I go along. You know, it's not not like I'm a rookie because, you know, I'm still a veteran in the league and been through a lot. And I've, I've played, you know, significant snaps before. But, um, you know, just being able to have this type of opportunity, playing every snap with the green dot and all that stuff, just, just wanting to continue to see my progress. That's kind of my biggest thing. So, uh, you know, really appreciate the times here. This has been a lot of fun, a great conversation, and certainly enlightening on your season and where the Colts are going. But tell me about what you have going on with your foundation in your mother's name, Shalise's Angels. Tell us about it. Tell us how people can get involved and what you have going on. Yeah, so, um, you know, my nonprofit, Shalise's Angels, named after my late mother. Um, you know, she passed away when I was 16. Um, and it's really a nod to her and my grandmother, the two women that raised me. I'm really just trying to help young at-risk uh, women um, you know, from uh, challenging communities uh, in the Philadelphia and Indianapolis area. Uh, area. Um, and we also, uh, you know, have a focus on financial literacy, um, too, in the, in, the, in the black and brown community. Um, you know, earlier this year, uh, we had, I had the opportunity to uh, have a financial literacy program and with the app that I, I developed uh, called Give Get. It's just something that uh, helps teach uh, kids um, financial literacy tools in like a fun, uh, interactive way. 
Um, and we were also able to uh, donate, uh, start a bank account for every kid who came um, to the to the uh, to the event. So for about 30 kids, we created a savings account for them. Um, just because statistically, it shows that the earlier you have a savings account, um, the more likely you'll have, have financial health in the future. Um, so we started a savings account for all those kids and donated $200 to each account. Um, wow. Uh, about 30 kids uh, in Indianapolis. Yeah, so just good little things like that. Um, anything I could really do to kind of help the community. Um, obviously, I'm super big back in Philadelphia. Um, you know, taking uh, young women out. My thing is kind of just taking them on different experiences that they may not have any other way. Um, you know, took a group of girls to Google headquarters in New York City, um, took them to the Sixers headquarters, and not only just to meet the players, but to meet the people in the background, you know, the media people, the marketing people, um, and just that side, how they could be involved in sports when I have to shoot a hoop. So um, that's just really my biggest thing is just trying to – like expose kids to, to different things that I've learned along my way that, you know, I never was necessarily exposed to and just trying to give them different opportunities that really that I wish I always had. Zay, that's tremendous. It's always great to see guys like you opening doors for people, creating opportunities, creating the chance to see what life can be in front of them. It's tremendous. Uh, tell us where people can find out more. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, you can follow us on Instagram at Shalises Angels uh, or on our website, shalisesangels.org. He's Ayer Franklin. Check out ShalisesAngels.org. You can follow Zayer on Twitter at Ziggy Smalls underscore. And, of course, check him out on Sundays with the Indianapolis Colts. Zayer, appreciate the time. Look forward to talking to you further up the road, my man. And best of luck finishing the season strong. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me, man. appreciate it. Yeah, what a year for Zayer Franklin. 131 tackles, one sack. And as we said at the top, if you just watch a Colts game, if you throw on their film in the condensed games in the NFL Plus app or whatever – He's always around the football. Here's a guy who's made the move to full-time linebacker this season. He's playing virtually 100% of the Colts' defensive snaps, and he's been a difference maker. And I look at Zaire Franklin as one of these players who's ascending across the NFL. He's a guy who is becoming a household name if he isn't already. And you just look at the trajectory of his career, the trajectory of this season for him. He's going to be a building block for the Colts' future for years to come. And, of course, check out his foundation, Shalise's Angels. I love what he's doing there. As a father of a four-year-old daughter, I love the fact that he's opening doors for young women and girls across the country in Indianapolis, in Philadelphia, exposing them to new opportunities. And I think it's a great cause. You should check it out. And, you know, one quarterback who has a lot of opportunity across the NFL right now, it's Jalen Hurts. Because if you watch what the Eagles are doing right now, we know we talk about Philadelphia almost every week on this show, and maybe it gets a little bit repetitive, like a, a broken record, but they're the best team in football right now by far. And you look at the pieces that the Eagles have. They have the best offensive line in football. They have a dynamic wide receiving core with A.J. Brown, Devonta Smith, Quez Watkins. It seems like A.J. Brown is scoring one or two touchdowns every week at this point. And the Eagles are beating teams, playoff caliber teams. I know the Giants are fading. I know that it's a must-win game for the Giants to have any hope at making the postseason against the Commanders on this Sunday afternoon at FedEx Field. But they're a seven-win team. They were going into Sunday. The Giants, the Eagles ran the Giants out of their own building. The week before, you have the AFC South leading Titans come into town, and the Eagles embarrassed them. John Robinson was fired the next day or early that week after A.J. Brown went off after being traded to the Eagles on draft night. But the reason why I think Jalen Hurts has so much opportunity in front of him, it's not just because he's the runaway favorite, in my opinion, for the MVP based on the year that he's having this year. 
It's not just the, the consistent production and the improvement that you see out of Jalen Hurts every single week. The decision-making is getting better by the week, just as it has gotten better every step of the way in his career and every season so far. He's making better decisions in the pocket, better throws. He's even more consistent in the red zone, not just on a, a touchdown basis in terms of passing touchdowns, but when to run, when not to. He has something like 10 red zone rushing touchdowns on top of everything else that he's doing. But you look at the opportunity that the Eagles have in 2023, 2024, and beyond, it's because they still have Jalen Hurts. And he's not even eligible for that second contract until after this year. But you look at the AFC, and it's an absolute gauntlet. The disparity at the quarterback position between the AFC and the NFC is outrageous. You look on the AFC side of the bracket, of course you have Joe Burrow. You have Patrick Mahomes, you have Lamar Jackson, you have Justin Herbert, you have Tua Tagovailoa. The list goes on and on and on. Josh Allen, for a spell, was the MVP of the league this year in Buffalo and, and still might be a Super Bowl caliber quarterback for a Super Bowl caliber team, even without Von Miller over on the AFC side of the ledger. And I know that Tua took it on the chin on Sunday night. I know that Justin Herbert significantly outplayed him. But that's what's going to happen in the AFC for the next five to 10 years. Then you throw in Derek Carr, who's probably a top 15 to 18 quarterback in this league. I know Russell Wilson is fading, but he has Super Bowl experience and maybe a new coach with a new system and some added pieces around him as far as weapons go. He's no slouch over there in the AFC West. But in the NFC, it's Jalen Hurts and who? Dak Prescott, maybe? Listen, all the credit in the world to Dak leading the Cowboys on that drive, that game-winning drive on Sunday afternoon against the Texans, but it's Dak who threw the interception on the four-yard line to bury them on the previous drive. It was Dak who had the offense basically in neutral other than a couple of Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott runs early in the day against the Houston team that had no business making that game competitive. But when you look at all of the quarterbacks in the AFC, went through the names, went through the teams, all of those teams, largely because of the quarterback play, can make an argument to go to the Super Bowl this year or having the pieces in place to be long-term Super Bowl contenders. That's just not the case in the NFC. And with Jalen Hurts in place in Philadelphia, with that supporting cast and that roster, and two first-round draft picks, including the Saints pick, which might be top five this year, Howie Roseman and the Eagles have a window that's propped open perhaps for three to five years. Because Aaron Rodgers falling apart before our eyes. Tom Brady, he might be done. You talk to people inside the NFL, you talk to coaches and executives, there's a real belief that Father Time has already caught up to Tom Brady and that the Buccaneers are done. And no matter where Tom Brady goes, that this is it, best days are behind him. So, so who challenges Philadelphia? Who challenges a Jalen Hurts-led Philadelphia Eagles team. And I think that Jalen Hurts has the chance to be the next Peyton Manning based on his decision-making pre-snap, the throws that he's been able to make, the decisions that he makes post-snap, and what he's been able to do on a week-by-week -week basis in terms of improvement and year-by-year -year improvement as well. Who stops Philadelphia? Who stops Howie Roseman and the Eagles from keeping on building with the cap space that they have? I know they're going to have to pay Hurts eventually, but you have a top-five pick this year. Maybe you trade that back to pick 12 or 15 and get a first-round pick next year, and you keep the cycle going. Those are the type of moves that Howie Roseman has made a career of doing since he became the general manager again when Chip Kelly was fired. But I think that the disparity between quarterback play in the AFC and the NFC has never been wider, 
And I think that's why the AFC is so fascinating to watch every single week. And that's why when you see Joe Burrow go on a nice little run or Patrick Mahomes do Patrick Mahomes things or Josh Allen lead the Bills back on a comeback bid, it's incredible to watch. But it's going to become incredibly difficult to win on that side of the bracket, whereas I think in the NFC, it's basically Jalen Hurts and everybody else. And one of the quarterbacks that you could have put in that list, in that conversation in the NFC before Monday night is Kyler Murray. But after Kyler Murray tore his ACL, he was underperforming anyway. This was not the kind of season the Cardinals were hoping to get from Kyler Murray. And here's the dirty little secret. The Arizona Cardinals are the most expensive mess in the entire NFL. You look at what the Cardinals did before this season. They signed Kyler Murray to that five-year deal worth $230 million, $189 million of which is fully guaranteed. And the Cardinals don't have an out in that deal until 2028. So they're locked in. They're all in. They can't trade or release Kyler Murray without a significant cap hit anytime between now and 2028. And on top of that, they signed Cliff Kingsbury, their head coach, to a five-year extension prior to this year. He might be making between five and a half and six million dollars annually. How do you fix that? And you look at you have DeAndre Hopkins, you brought in Hollywood Brown. They have some talent around Kyler Murray. But even before the injury, even before the torn ACL, even before his season ended on December 13th, which is going to put the start of next season very much in jeopardy for Kyler Murray, this was a mess. I don't think that you could have made a bigger financial mess out of a franchise if you tried to. Here's the problem long-term. They only have $2.7 million in cap space this season, which whatever, it's going into week 15. Their cap space, it's the 12th most in 2023. And in 2024, they have the 20th most cap space in the league. So they're going to be struggling to compete for the top free agents. And as that Murray contract kicks in and those escalating years kick in in 2025 and 2026 and 2027, it's going to be a lot tougher to build around Kyler Murray with that massive franchise quarterback contract as an albatross if he's not playing better. And listen, we can look at the Los Angeles Rams. I get it. They're over the cap in 2023. They're over the cap in 2024. But the difference between Arizona and the Los Angeles Rams is the Rams have a Lombardi in their trophy case from just last year. We can talk about no team getting less out of a a major trade, trading for Matthew Stafford, but they still won a Super Bowl. We could talk about, you know, Les Snead with his F them picks draft picks, his philosophy about draft picks saying F them picks and making trades. It paid off. They got a Super Bowl. I, I don't know what Arizona can do from here on out. Now, maybe you go and you bring in a Sean Payton. Maybe you get a complete change of direction at head coach with an offensive mind that can get more out of his quarterback and out of his system than Cliff Kingsbury has getting right now from Murray and that offense. But man, it's going to be a struggle for Arizona to build around Kyler Murray if he doesn't play markedly better next season. And another franchise that's really struggling, I mean, this this might be the struggle bus edition of the podcast because the Las Vegas Raiders need to do themselves a favor and rip off the Josh McDaniels Band-Aid because it is over. It's done. They were leading that game 16-3 to 3 
on Thursday night against the Rams with 1225 left. 16 to 3. How does that happen? How do you blow that game against the Rams with a quarterback who just showed up 10 minutes ago in Baker Mayfield? You had them buried on the two-yard line and you lost the game. It's astounding to me that you can be this bad. I don't know how many more whacks at the Bill Belichick coaching tree we're going to get. How many times an owner or a franchise are going to take their hacksaw and, and saw off a branch of the Bill Belichick coaching tree based on all of the failures over the years? If this is as good as Josh McDaniels is going to be as a head coach, they've blown four double-digit leads this year. The the most double-digit leads that a team has come from ahead and lost in NFL history, dating back to 1930. No team has blown more double-digit leads than the Raiders have. And I keep going back to this. It's not an untalented offense. I mean, Derek Carr, we said a top 15, top 20 quarterback At least, that's probably his floor. Devontae Adams, one of the top two or three most dynamic and prolific wide receivers in the sport today. Darren Waller is a matchup nightmare at tight end. Josh Jacobs, he might be the best overall running back in the game. And they are a team that's blowing fourth quarter double-digit leads routinely. I look at the Raiders right now. And they are unequivocally the most disappointing team in the National Football League this year. And I don't know how you move forward with Josh McDaniels as your head coach beyond this season. It's not working. The staff that he built has been a failure. They haven't drafted well in the years leading up to Josh McDaniels' arrival, and that's not on him. But eventually, you need to tear it all down and start over. Look at that defense. I don't know that you could name five players not named. Max Crosby, and Chandler Jones. I don't know that you can name five defensive players other than those two, and certainly not star caliber players. The NFL is a star-driven league. The Raiders' defense doesn't have any of those. But you have enough talent on offense that you should be able to be far more effective than the Raiders have been. And a lot of that comes down to coaching. I wrote about this weeks ago when they blew the game in Jacksonville to the Jaguars that they should have left, the Raiders should have left Josh McDaniels on the tarmac and let him find his own way home. There's no reason to keep moving forward here. But I will admit, there is a situation and there is a head coach that I was very wrong about. I was wrong. Put the pitchforks away, Detroit. I was wrong about Dan Campbell and the Detroit Lions. You look at what this team is doing right now, they're one of the more fun and exciting teams to watch in the NFL. Hell, I I was so wrong about... Dan Campbell on the lines. I was wrong about them last week. I had Minnesota as the pick of the week on the show. And Campbell's Lions took care of business. Ran them out of the building. They've won five of their last six. And they're a 22nd Josh Allen game-winning field goal drive on Thanksgiving away from a six-game winning streak. And over the past six weeks, they're second in total DVOA over at Football Outsiders, the only team that's better than them right now is the San Francisco 49ers. And how about the 49ers, by the way, just as a quick aside. You look at that defense, they strangled out Tom Brady and the Buccaneers on Sunday afternoon. That was a clinic by D'Amico Ryans, and that was the reason why you trade for Christian McCaffrey on offense. Debo Samuel goes down, doesn't matter. McCaffrey goes off. And they win that game 35-7, to boat racing Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. 
but a running back who's been equally effective to his team as Christian McCaffrey has been to the 49ers is Jamal Williams. He leads the entire NFL with 14 rushing touchdowns. He's a, a, a goal line short yardage vulture. And he's having the type of season that's going to make Ben Johnson one of the hottest head coaching commodities this hiring cycle. And he might be one of the first coaches hired because of what they've been able to do with to date, what you'd say is an under talented offense, but you get Jamison Williams back and he catches on his first NFL catch a 41 yard touchdown. You have Amon Ross St. Brown, who's emerging as a top 10 receiver in the NFL and a matchup nightmare and a guy who just produces week after week after week with Jamal Williams in the backfield. Yeah. It's hard to call these under talented lions anymore. And they're playing hard for Dan Campbell. They're embodying the culture that we all watched him try to build during hard knocks during training camp back this summer. And Sunday's 34 to 23 win over the Vikings. Yeah, it was a bit of a stunner. But maybe that's just who they are. Maybe that's who the Lions are becoming. Teams get hot late in the season sometimes. Sometimes it takes time, especially with young head coaches, to really establish yourself. And coming off of the year they had last year, Maybe it just took some time to build. So I was wrong about Detroit. I'll admit it. And they have a cakewalk schedule the rest of the way. They go to East Rutherford to play the Jets, who are fighting for their playoff lives, but it's Mike White at quarterback. It's not Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson. They go to the Panthers, again, very much in the mix in the NFC South, but they're under 500. At the They play the Bears in Detroit, and they finish the season at Lambeau Field against a Packers team that isn't really intimidating anybody right now. Nine and eight is very much on the table for the Lions to go and get. I don't know that nine and eight gets you in, but that's really borderline for a wild card spot in the NFC. Wouldn't that be a story? Wouldn't that be a story if after Thanksgiving, the Lions rattle off the kind of stretch run that sneaks them into the postseason after the year they had last year? That would be incredible. And I was incredibly wrong about the Lions, and I can admit that. And one team that's completely changing the narrative right now, they are pulling out all the stops with opportunity right in front of them, is the Atlanta Falcons, who you look at the NFC South, there's a good chance that a fifth under 500 team in the history of the NFL with a losing record is going to go to the postseason and host a playoff game on wildcard weekend. It's happened four times before. Whatever happens in the NFC South, it might be the fifth because the Falcons have moved on from Marcus Mariota to Desmond Ritter. They drafted him in the third round. I don't know that they're all that committed to Ritter. I don't know that they should be, but they have four games to evaluate him, starting with a very winnable game against the New Orleans Saints. And I spoke to an AFC executive just to get a feel for what he is, what the Falcons can expect. And he told me point blank from his size and athletic ability, and all of the intangibles in his decision-making, he has what it takes to succeed. He's a little bit of a wild card. He's not going to overwhelm, overwhelm you with the arm strength, but he compared him to Jalen Hurts. Now, I don't know that it's fair to put that kind of comparison, especially Jalen Hurts today in 2022, runaway MVP leader. But if you can build towards that, Atlanta has to be pretty happy in the long term with Drake London and with Kyle Pitts pretty decent offensive line if you can build it. I mean, right now they haven't played great. You look at 
Mariota, he's been sacked something like 28 times through his first 13 starts of the season. But Ritter adds that dimension of mobility. He's six foot three, 207 pounds. So he's a big bodied passer who, listen, if the arm strength develops a little bit or if he wins by making sound decisions and his athletic ability gets the Falcons by, why can't they sneak into the postseason? It's going to be fascinating to watch. Sunday's game against the Saints is going to be wildly, wildly entertaining. You know what else is wildly entertaining? The winner of this week's Lombardo Trophy. We're giving it out, and it's a layup here. It's Baker Mayfield. I couldn't be more impressed by what I saw from Baker Mayfield on Thursday night in Los Angeles. He arrived 48 hours before the game against the Raiders, had one walkthrough practice, not even a full practice, just a walkthrough, gets the ball back, and leads a 98-yard game-winning drive. And on that possession, goes four of six, leads the Rams down the field. They win the game. And with Matthew Stafford out, this really is Baker Mayfield's last audition. This is his last chance. Now, I don't think the Rams are going to the postseason this year. They've been one of the bigger disappointments alongside the Raiders as well. They're 5-9. and nine. They finish up against the Chargers, the Seahawks, who it's starting to get a little bit desperate in Seattle based on what the Niners are doing, the Packers, and the Broncos. So even if you go two and two down the stretch and go 500. That's a pretty strong finish going three and two overall for Baker Mayfield since he arrived there. The Rams aren't going to win a Super Bowl this year. They're not going back. The Rams probably aren't making the postseason this year too little too late with Baker coming in. With Matthew Stafford out, there's a real chance here in Sean McVay's very quarterback friendly system with a running game that surpassed expectations at least last week for Baker Mayfield to put the kind of film out there that turns him into one of the more sought after veteran quarterbacks in free agency this offseason. I mean, think about this. Why wouldn't the Pittsburgh Steelers kick the tires on Baker Mayfield if they move on from Mitchell Trubisky? Why wouldn't a team that's looking for a veteran quarterback to mentor a young quarterback, why wouldn't they look at Baker Mayfield? If the Lions aren't all in on Jared Goff and they think that Baker can give them some sort of upside, wouldn't the Lions be interested there? Houston's probably going to draft a quarterback number one overall, whether it's C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young. If you're not playing in week one, would Baker go and be the bridge quarterback? Maybe. But if he finishes strong over these last four weeks, he's going to create an opportunity for himself that probably wasn't there when the Panthers released him. So good for Baker Mayfield winning that game, coming from behind, leading that 98-yard drive, four for six against the Raiders on that final possession, doing what he needed to do. He takes home the Lombardo Trophy in addition to that comeback win. Finally, the pick of the week. We're going to Buffalo, where the Bills, the inconsistent Buffalo Bills, they're trying to find an identity on defense without Von Miller, Buffalo Bills, take on the floundering Miami Dolphins. And Sunday night felt like it striking midnight for the Cinderella Dolphins in Los Angeles against Justin Herbert and the Chargers. They were just three for 11 on third down. Tua had his worst performance of the season, passing for 145 yards on a touchdown, looked out of sync the entire night, 
didn't seem to be able to develop any sort of rhythm or chemistry that's become the hallmark of throwing to Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill this season. It just wasn't there. He looked off. And they lost to the Chargers 23-17, to despite the Chargers trying to charger away that game late multiple times, including whatever that was on the onside kick. The Bills have their own issues. Josh Allen still isn't 100% healthy. Von Miller is out. That really changes the dynamic, changes the narrative, changes the dominance of that defense because these are the moments that the Bills brought Von Miller in for. The big games late in the year against Tua, the playoff games against Joe Burrow, against Patrick Mahomes. This is why they brought Von Miller in. He tore his ACL. He's done for the year. But this is the type of a game after what happened in Miami earlier this season in the heat that was the Dolphins' Super Bowl performance, no doubt about it, that was their arrival on the national stage. But after what happened in a revenge situation, this feels like the type of game that Josh Allen and the Bills are going to want to make an absolute statement in on national TV on a snowy night in Buffalo. It's going to be snowing. It's going to be windy. It's going to be miserable up there on a Saturday with the Dolphins coming in off a loss, off a short week. I have a really hard time thinking that the Dolphins can win the game. And I kind of have a hard time thinking they're going to cover the seven and a half. So give me the Bills minus seven and a half points. Let's retape that. I have a really hard time believing that the Bills. Yeah. Sorry about that. I have a really hard time believing that the Dolphins are going to go into Buffalo and win that football game. And I have a little bit of a hard time thinking that the Dolphins are going to cover the seven and a half. So give me the Bills over the Dolphins, giving seven and a half points as the pick of the week. This has been a lot of fun. Really enjoyed the conversation with Indianapolis Colts captain and linebacker Zaire Franklin. You can follow him on Twitter at Ziggy Smalls underscore. Thanks as always to my producer extraordinaire, Thomas Darrow, does a tremendous job getting this podcast up and running each and every week, the best in the business. And of course, if you enjoy the podcast, please go ahead and subscribe in the Apple Podcast Store, Spotify, SoundCloud, toss us a like on YouTube, leave us those five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. It really helps grow the show. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Lombardo NFL. And we'll talk to you next week right here on the Matt Lombardo Show presented by Heavy Sports.